God made me who I am. Oh, it's good this Sunday to go back to the beginning all the way to Genesis. God made me who I am. God blesses you. God made you who you are. Do you believe it? You know, I know for me, it was we picked this passage a while back, but then I thought, oh, it's good to be Genesis, back in Genesis this morning when we had a week where the U.S. pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. You know, let's go back to Genesis. God made us who we are, but not just us. God made all of us. God made all of creation. God made all the waters, all the lands, all the stars, everything. And then God said to us, be good stewards and take care of it. So with all these things going on in our world, it's nice to come back to church and to in church go back to those first blessings, those first blessings in the first book of Genesis, first chapter. God made me who I am, and not just you, everything else. And God said, take care of it. Come on, y'all, take care of it. God made us who we are. Uh, receive that, because sometimes we don't take too good care of ourselves, do we? God said, take care of it. Take care of creation. Take care of you. Oh, what a day to be in church. The beginning of Pride Month and Pentecost. Oh, goodness. And, and, and as they said, we're going to be talking about when we touch. Oh, my goodness gracious. Some of y'all been touching? <laughs> you know, I imagine so. I hope so. You know, God said, God made you who you are. And then God said, very good. Gave you that body, gave you everything, and said, well, very good. So when we touch, I kind of giggled when this was going to be our study on Wednesday nights, and I thought about what we could do on Sunday morning. <laughs> Wednesday night has more freedom than we do on Sunday morning. But I, I was remembering uh, in 1977, because that's the year I graduated from high school, and I remembered these songs on the radio, and then the, one of the top 40 hits that got into the top 40 hits in 1978 was this song. Y'all might remember it. Sometimes when we touch. Y'all remember that? You ask me if I love you, and I choke on my reply. Because they knew they had to be honest. You know? And then it goes on. I'm only just beginning to see the real you. Sometimes when we touch, the honesty's too much. I have to close my eyes and hide. I want to hold you till I die. Till we both break down and cry. I want to hold you till the fear in me subsides. Oh, goodness. It almost sounds like a prayer. <laughs> Imagine if it was to God. I want to hold you till the fear in me subsides. Imagine if it was a psalm. And there are some psalms just like that in our Bible. You can go find them. Lesson this week, someone gets a reward, he brings me back the psalm that's most like this song, Sometimes When We Touch. You know, the honesty's too much. Sometimes we need to touch each other, hold on to one another, and hold on till the fear subsides. We know that to be true, till we cry it all out. This week we had a tragedy. Uh, Ralphie Reyes, one of our members who've been a part of our community, uh, joined six years ago. Uh, Ralphie was killed. Um, he was killed by a boyfriend he'd been dating for four months. He was found in his apartment on Monday of this week. Um, Ralphie was a beautiful, beautiful person. And within 24 hours of notice on Facebook, it went out that Ralphie had died in our gathering space over here, 200 plus friends of Ralphie gathered. 
They held on to one each other. They touched till the tears might subside. They told stories and they laughed. They told stories and they cried. But they lifted it all in prayer. Because together they were the body of Christ. Together they were a community of love. Together God said, you are mine. You are very good. And when we come together in times like that, we do need to have that holy hug that Vicki described. That moment when we can touch. And sometimes that honesty does bring those tears and sometimes it's fearful and sometimes we just need to hang on for dear life. Just need to hang on for dear life. So as we, his memorial service, if you didn't know about that till now, is 2 p.m. today. You can still make it. But we remember those people and we honor them. All of those who are mourning this day, not just for Ralphie, but around the world and in England and elsewhere where they need to hold one another. And God says, very good. Keep it up. Take care. Take care of yourself. Take care of one another. Take care of each other. And I want to do that in a way this morning. I want to talk about how some of the negatives have come to take over our world when it comes to this conversation about what sexuality is and what good Christian sex might be. Some people think that's a funny title. Those three words shouldn't go together at all. You know, but they do, and they do very well. And I reminded of a, reminded of a story, oh, maybe 20 years ago. I had a friend who was a Roman Catholic priest, and that friend uh, happened to be a gay Roman Catholic priest, and he also happened to have uh, a boyfriend. And so I asked him how that worked for him in his tradition, because I was curious, you know, with church teachings and what he had learned and all of that sort of stuff. And so I don't remember all the logic behind it. We had this long conversation about the difference between chastity and celibacy. And the end of all the gymnastics, he came to the place. I saw the flips and the turns. And at the end of all the gymnastics, he came to the place where he had taken a vow of chastity, which was different from a vow of celibacy, which meant that he could be sexual. And I thought at that moment how sad it was that he had to do all that gymnastics to understand that he was very good. And that God made him, made all of him, and that there wasn't anything wrong with him being a full person, being sexual and sensual. But I, I thought about that uh, and looked it up on Google, chastity versus celibacy, and they're still confused. Don't just read one article, look it up on Google and read about five or six articles because they say different things. And so I thought, well, maybe he was onto something back then. You know, you look for loopholes when it's not fair. You look for, you look for loopholes when it's not fair. Oh, goodness, God made us and God made us good, but we got all this bad teaching about what it means in our bodies to love one another and when we can and when it's right and all that sort of stuff. And my mom was victim of all of that. My mom had been divorced twice and finally on her third marriage got to be with the man she was with for the rest of her life, my father. And they were so excited about when we moved into our first home together. We'd been in apartments all the time that had white walls. You all know what that's like, living in white walls your whole life? Well, we got our house and they told us kids we could paint whatever color we wanted. It was a mistake. <laughs> it was a mistake. But my mom took that heart. To heart too and so she painted their master bedroom uh, carnation pink <laughs> and then the bedspread had these patterns in it but it was a lighter shade of carnation pink 
on the bedspread. And, and my, my dad, who had played for the Dallas Cowboys, just was somehow able to live in all that. He knew he didn't have any power to change it. But uh, the important part about that room, I remember, is once it all got painted pink, and my, my sisters and I, by the way, called it the Pepto-Bismol room. <laughs> but not in front of mom. We wouldn't do that to her. And so um, once it was painted, the wall was fresh, the master bed stuck up against the wall, two windows and this big blank wall. Then she put proudly in the middle of it this little 9 by 14 framed legal document, which was their marriage license. Think about that. Their marriage license, she put it up on the wall because she had been told she couldn't have sex unless that marriage license happened. She had it on that wall because if anyone said anything to her, she'd point to the wall and says, it's okay, I can do it. You know, or maybe even to remind herself during sex. I don't know. <laughs> it's okay, we can do it. You know, but just this legal this legal need to have ver validation that it's okay, that it's very good, and that this now she fits within the proper ramifications of what it means to be sexual. And I thought, oh my goodness, how sad is that? You know? And then when Walter and I finally got our marriage license, when we were together 15 years, and we didn't wait until marriage, I want to tell you that. <laughs> we've we've been, together, been together 15 years, you know, and I got that certificate. I said, honey, do you want to go get a little frame and put this above our bed? And he said he didn't think that'd be necessary. <laughs> so, you know, but it's okay. What we do here is okay and how we need someone to tell us it's okay and to let go of layers of shame or anything else guilt we have about what it means to be passionate and to want to pursue pleasure and that it's God's good gift. God made me. God made us. God made these bodies this way so that we can know one another, so that when we touch, we might find the holy. When we touch, we might be transformed. When we let walls down enough to touch and actually get to know the other, we may actually see God. I'm just, getting to, I'm just beginning, the lyrics say, to see the real you. To see the real you you. Well, this translates to our children, and I like that quote in this, that we have today, and what does it mean to teach our children these things, and to still teach our children these things? Uh, back at the height of the AIDS epidemic, I served on a panel of experts for about a decade. For 10 years in a row, each summer during July, they, throughout Texas, would gather high school seniors who were interested in the medical professions. And they would gather 1,000-plus of them at each gathering. And so in July, you're shaking your head. You may have gone. <laughs> uh, in the middle of July, they would bring these high school seniors together, and they would put these doctors up in front of them to talk about the medical field practice. And they had a day on HIV during that time. And um, after two years of doing this, one of the doctors reached out to me uh, because he knew I was working in the field of HIV pastoral care and chaplaincy and said, Troy, we need you to come sit on our panel. And I said, well, why? I'm not a doctor. He said, because we have a lot of fundamentalists that come. And it stops our education each time we get to this part of the week on medicine and what it means to be a medical practitioner and to have compassion for everyone and to serve everyone. Because some of the more conservative 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds would pipe up 
and say things that these doctors didn't have any response for or didn't even know what in the world they were talking about. You know, even perhaps if they were Christian, they might not have recognized the verses that were hurled. And so they said, we need you for the extremists that are there. And so I became a part of that every July couple of panels. And my role was when we got to that part when they were talking about using condoms and how they to stop the spread of HIV or even using clean needles to stop the spread of HIV, these very important reduce harm events, there would always be people who hated it when we used the word condom. And they said, you're not supposed to be talking about that. Only talk about abstinence. And, and then we would review the, the ABCs of this prevention. A for abstinence, B for your behavior, and C for condom. And it still wasn't enough. They would hold the whole hotel room, lot, the whole huge gallery hostage in this conversation. And so I, I figured out a way to address that. And what I did was I asked them to raise their hands these are 17-year-olds, remember. Raise their hands if they or if they knew anyone in their class at school that had had sex that year. <laughs> Didn't have to be them. Could have been someone else. Did they or anyone that they knew in the class had sex that year? And little by little, 98% of them raised their hands. You know, we do such shaming in this world, 98% normal and natural. Not that they had, but they knew someone who had. And so what I was able to say to them in that moment was, because this was about HIV, was able to say, we care about each and every one of you. We don't want anyone to get lost. And if you stay within the boundaries of your faith, it's true. If both partners have never had sex before they get married and then in marriage don't ever cheat on a partner, then you've got it made. You will not contract HIV, most likely. But when you step out of the boundaries of your faith, when you decide to be sexual, put on a condom. Because they had been taught that to put on a condom was a double sin or triple sin. To not, they could have sex, but if they added the condom, that made it much worse. Seriously. Seriously. So if you're stepping out, so, so I did that for 10 years, and I stopped doing it when I realized the kids in the room hadn't been born when we discovered HIV. You know, they had lived with it their whole lives when I got to that place. So I, I baptized another pastor to go and do that, and she felt the same sort of problems the first year, but she picked up the next year on how to address this challenge. So what does it mean that we put so many limitations on this, and even criminalize sex among teenagers when it's a moment of exploration in their world. We shouldn't be shaming. We shouldn't be heaping guilt on them. That only produces bad behaviors. It doesn't produce good behaviors. And we want each of them to survive. Heck, what else teenagers learn? Friday the 13th, any of you remember that first movie when it came out? What happens to Kevin Bacon after he has sex? He gets killed. <laughs> We're teaching these horrible things about what happens to us in movies and in education around this. Instead of, you are good, very good, God made you. And sometimes when we touch, it's holy. Sometimes when we touch, it is good and pure and holy and as God meant it to be. 
I love Augustine. Augustine is the one who gave us this doctrine of original sin, St. Augustine, right? Uh, and, and that didn't happen until about the year 400. So for thousands of years, we, we lived without the doctrine of original sin, okay? But since 1400, we've lived with it. But there's another prayer I think you always need to say from Augustine whenever you learn about his doctrine of original sin. He famously prayed this, St. Augustine. Give me chastity and self-control, but not just yet. <laughs> the creator of the doctrine of original sin. Give me chastity and self-control, but not just yet. When I'm ready to receive it. Oh, goodness. So let's go back to Genesis and look at this chapter 1, a few of the clips from some of those verses that are there. And the first ones, let's put them up on the screen so we can see them. Uh, the first one, verse 26, let us make humankind in our image. We often miss the way this says us and our when God's talking about God's self. Let, it, let us make them in our image. And I bring that to you today to say God loves diversity. God can't be relegated to a single sex or single age or single human or single uh, anthropological figure. God made it all in God's image. Humans, animals, creation, the whole thing, God made it all in God's image. And that means all sexual orientations, all gender identities, everything we can't even label. God made in God's image. And then God saw. That's that verse 31. God saw that everything God had made was good. I want you to see that word saw in that third verse up there. Because it's not just that God pronounced it good. After all the work, God stepped back and experienced it. Experienced all the diversity, experienced all the difference, all the beauty, all the variations in the world, and experienced it as good, and then said it out loud. Very good. So this is what's called original blessing. Before any notion of Augustine about original sin, this is what's called original blessing. And I like that middle verse up there because if we have any question about how our bodies are good and if we're not, we're not supposed to have sex, this is the verse that says, go do it. <laughs> Be fruitful. Multiply. Go do it. I made you these bodies. Go do it. And not only can you, you can even enjoy yourself. It can be pleasured. You know, it doesn't have to be something that's a duty or an obligation. Let's get weighed down farther. Okay? Just do it. Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, the author of the book, Original Blessing, is Matthew Fox. And Matthew Fox is who we're using his prayers throughout the year, those of you who are following the daily prayer meditations that we're doing. And he's, this is a quote from Matthew in the book, Original Blessing. One reason why compulsion rather than compassion has so characterized the patriarchal era of religion is that trust has been so much less important than fear. And spiritual expansion has been so much less important than guilt. And then Matthew goes on to say, but a new era dawns. For you cannot long imprison the word of God. For you cannot long imprison the word of God. So we go back to Genesis this day so that perhaps you might let free the word of God in your life and hear the words very good. 
these bodies, these bodies, menstruating, lactating, aging, aching, through puberty, pimpling, you know, these bodies are very good. These bodies are very good, and God is very pleased even to dwell in this body himself in the form of Jesus. These bodies are very good. And pleasure is not a sin. Sex is not a sin. Sometimes when we touch, it is holy. It is holy. Um, Christine Gudorf, author, says, we need pleasure. We need body pleasure. We need experience of pleasure just as surely as we need to limit our experience of pain and suffering for our bodies and for our souls. We need pleasure. And if you're worried about getting too much pleasure, I'll share with you this quote from Bromley, our author for this series. She says, pleasure, though, is not a zero-sum game. That means that you don't run out of it. That means that if you like the first scoop of ice cream, you can get the next scoop too, right? It means that it doesn't exhaust itself. It's not a zero-sum game. If you get pleasure, you're not taking it away from somebody else. If it's holy, you are sharing it and it multiplies. Then the second quote up there, I want you to hear about from W.H. Auden. As a rule, it was the pleasure haters who became unjust. Those who embrace original blessing and that we are very good, that creation is very good, that all of these experiences and connecting and community are very good, are not the haters in the world. It's those who pack on the guilt and the shame. Those who pack on the sin are the ones that end up causing the most harm. God made me. Oh my goodness. And even looks at me right in that moment after singing that and says, okay, Troy, you're very good. <laughs> Amen. This is the air I breathe. This is the
this moment of we offer ourselves. On Pentecost, we have the ritual of taking the prayers that you have placed into the prayer wall and igniting them, allowing their aroma to be lifted into the heavens. It's taken from the practice during the festival of weeks of taking a dove or taking a cow or taking a calf or and sacrificing it and placing it upon the altar and then igniting it 